Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Great stuff, thank you. So, if you've been here in the last um, few weeks, these evenings, what we're trying to do here at uh, IB Central is, is really mostly for people who would consider this their church home, that they're part of this, and often some of you will be serving in different ways in the mornings, and um, th- this is a kind of a, a feeding place. That's really what I want it to be. So I'm putting in the work to be able to sign it, trying to deliver some, some talks and messages that will kind of help you. And as I say, that phrase about these being... Um, citizenship lessons just came to me and I think it's you know it's right to see ourselves as that and to recognize that when you become a, a Christ follower it's it's because you're now in living in a, a different way in a different world that you get translated the Bible says literally the word is translated out of one um, dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light into the kingdom of his son whom he loves there's a change that takes place and, um, and we need to know the implications of what that actually means otherwise you'll live substandard that you live underneath that if you don't realise it and, and recognise that. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're just to throw it out, if, if you're around tomorrow morning between 10am and 12pm and you, you want to come along, we're doing some um, leadership lessons as well. I've been putting these together once a month and it's really tied in with this new thing stuff. It's to help us think about leadership generally and there's some people that came from other churches as well um, last time we did it. And I had said, and I had been putting it out there, that it was going to be about a vision and how you kind of distill that into one page. But rather than just stick with that, I actually feel God's given me something else for tomorrow. And it's, it's about the parable of the sower. And, uh, you know, sometimes just God gives you a different way of seeing it. I'd never seen some of this stuff before until, uh, until God got me to look at it. And it, it, I feel it's going to really be uh, quite significant for people. So if you're around tomorrow between 10 and 12 and, uh, you know, if you've got time, please come in and, and be a part of that too. Because we want this church to be a church that's full of leaders. And, um, and so you're welcome to come along. So last week, if you were here, we looked at the rise and fall of Lucifer. We looked at this whole idea with regard to spiritual warfare and how that happened. I'm not going to go over that too much, but you're welcome to listen to the podcast. This is a series we've been looking at how, how Lucifer was a created being. He was an archangel created by God, and he was given one of the highest positions in the kingdom of heaven. But he wanted even more, and in his pride, he actually rose up against his creator and started to see himself in some ways as his equal, and then wanted to be above him. And he said, I'm going to ascend even above his throne. And he coveted the glory of God, and he wanted that, and he rebelled against it. And we said last week that he became God's opponent, but it was never his opposite. He was never his equal, he could never be that. And so there was no contest actually, but there was conflict. There was no contest in terms of power, in terms of majesty. So Satan, as he became, was judged and thrown down to the earth. And you might be thinking, well, surely you don't believe in the devil and all that kind of stuff. I've seen enough in the world, to be honest with you, to convince me that there is a personal power of good at work in the universe and there is also a personal power of evil. And if you don't believe that, maybe you need to get out more. and actually see some of the things that are happening in the world. Because there is a devil, and he is at work, and he's still trying to thwart God's plans and purposes. And 
The Bible says and explains this, that there was, a, that there was a host that came with him, like a third of the angelic beings who formed this demonic coalition of darkness. Not the kingdom of darkness, because he's not a king. But there was this, this coalition that came out of this coup, if you like, of this force trying to kind of take over of heaven, which are even now still waging war against everything that is pure, everything that is good, everything that is holy in the world has an enemy. And the Bible talks about the, the power of darkness, the power of evil. But as I say, there's no kingdom of darkness because it doesn't have a king. But there is a king, and he has a kingdom, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's, he's bringing the kingdom. And we've, we've sung about it so often, even tonight, in the songs that we've sung, we've talked about that. And, and we've seen in this series that this kingdom, that there's, the kingdom of God is up in heaven, and often we have no trouble thinking about that, that yeah, there's a kingdom of heaven, there's a kingdom that God rules over there. But also the Bible says that God is establishing his kingdom here on the earth, and that's when we start to maybe have questions about that, of how does that work? Because if, you know, I can imagine God ruling in heaven, but how is he ruling on the earth when this happens and this happens and that happened and that happened? And this is when you come to this tension we've talked about, which theologians talk about, and it's kind of basically it's now and not yet, that the kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. That it's, it's here, but it's not fully here just yet. And God's plan for the kingdom to come on the earth is us. It's his people. It's when you say, let your kingdom come and your will be done in here, on the inside of me, then Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. He says, don't go looking over here and over there and to the west and the north and the south and the east. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And then we bring it. When you pray, when you say, I want to submit to Jesus, I want you to be the king, and through the church, praying and working for his will to be done, for his kingdom to come on the earth, it comes. And that's why human beings were created in the first place, for that to happen. God wanted there to be an outpost of heaven here on planet earth. So in Genesis chapter 1, this was God's plan. He said, let us make human beings in our image. to be like us now that means if we're going to be like him what we're going to do we're going to do the same kind of things as he did this was his intention they will reign they will reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky the livestock all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground so God created human beings in his own image in the image of God he created them Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Literally subdue it. What were human beings meant and made to do? Notice it says to reign, to rule, to govern, to bring about flourishing, basically. To, to let, let the garden grow, to push back the weeds to bring what God wanted there, to exercise his authority for good, his power for good over everything. See, when, when Satan fell, God didn't just sort of wash his hands of it and then say, all right, well, scrub that. From now on, I'll just do it myself. No, for the sake of his own name and for the glory of God, God in his own wisdom says, I'm going to make somebody even lower than the angels and they will rule. 
And he must have shown a glimpse of that to a shepherd boy who became a king by the name of David when he wrote one of my favourite psalms, Psalm 8. And just imagine David one day lying on his back with all the sheep barring around him. He looks up at the stars and suddenly he's like, wow, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies. To do what? To silence the foe and the avenger. He sees this, there's something going on here in the way God is using the smallest and the weakest and the lowest and he's putting his power into them to shame the devil, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind, what is humanity that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you cared for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. And then it goes on, I've not got it on the screen. But all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sea, the, fish in, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, he says. This explains, this says that God made us a little lower than the angels. Why? To do what archangels, like Satan, fail to do. To demonstrate God's glory and power to the whole universe. That's our job, to do that, including to demonstrate God's glory to every principality in power. And Ephesians says that happens through the church. See, when you start to see this, it helps to make sense of some passages in the Bible that otherwise we might wonder about. Like in Hebrews chapter 2, here it is in the message version. It says, God didn't put angels in charge. But it says here in scripture, and he's, he's quoting Psalm 8 here, isn't he? What is man and woman that you bother with them? Why take a second look their way? You made them not as quite as high as angels, bright with Eden's dawn lights. Then you put them in charge of your entire handcrafted world. When God put them in charge of everything, nothing was excluded. But we don't see it yet. Is that true? We don't see this yet. This is the now and not yet that we've talked about. We don't see everything under human jurisdiction. What we do see is Jesus made not quite as high as angels. Jesus becoming a human being. And then through the experience of death, crowned so much higher than any angel with a glory bright with Eden's dawn light. And then it goes on, it talks about how Jesus saves us But I want you to notice what it is that Jesus saves us for. Not just what he saves us from. Because the church, believe it or not, has often over-spiritualized heaven. If that's possible to do. We've made it all about how in this life you say a prayer. You say some words. So that when you die, you leave the earth and you go up to heaven. We've made it like this prayer is like fire insurance to protect you from burning forever in one place because you get instead to go to heaven. But that isn't what this says. 
And in fact, it isn't what the Bible says. That kind of thinking owes a lot more to Greek, to Platonic philosophy and thinking that, than it does to biblical theology because the Bible isn't asking, will you die and go to heaven? Instead, it's saying, until you meet Jesus, you're dead. You might not feel like it, but you are dead in your trespasses and sins. So, will you come to him and receive life, now and forever? Will you live in this life, get ready in this life, now for kingdom come? Will you get ready for heaven coming to earth? And I haven't really got time for a full study of Revelation. We're going to do that in, uh, in, in, uh, through the summer, actually. We're going to do a series in Revelation. But that, so many glimpses of the future in Revelation tell us that God still has a plan to deal with Satan. He's not finished with him yet. And it's nothing for the devil to look forward to. Here's a snippet from chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. And, it, you know, there's various other things happen, but let me tell you, it doesn't get any better for the devil after that. You'll be pleased to know. The Bible describes this period called the millennial reign. This thousand years when Jesus Christ comes and rules here on the earth. I don't know if you knew about this, but he does this as a triumphant declaration and demonstration that our God wins. That our God is victorious and that the enemy is utterly, completely, totally defeated. Then the Bible says something's going to happen. It says the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? Completely. There'll not be a place anywhere on the earth during that time. And the glory of the Lord, the whole, it's just, the place has just been thick with his presence. This earth. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and all God's children will be raised and when this happens, it says, we will reign with him on the earth. Not in some ethereal, spiritual, heavenly place where we all get to wear nighties and play harps. And our hair miraculously turns into a blonde bouffant. <laughs> but in real, glorious, everlasting, resurrection bodies that are permanent like Jesus's, that are impervious to death and decay. And that's worth dying for. That's why Paul said for him, he said, I'm torn. At the end of his life, he said, I'm torn. You know, sometimes even Christians get really fearful of death. But Paul looked at his death approach and he said, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of torn, to be honest with you. He said, because I know you'd like me to stay. But in many ways, I want to depart and go to be with Christ, which is, and the, the word that he uses in Greek is basically says, which is best, better, better by far. Can you imagine if Christians live like that? 
If we face death like that, if we thought about it like that. A guy called N.T. Wright, a bishop, has probably done more to help Christians get hold of this more biblical view of heaven than anybody else. And I love what he writes about here. About a, this is a famous passage uh, that, uh, that about Jesus in the Last Supper in John's Gospel. And it's used a lot at funerals. I've used it. And, and the, he really helped me to understand it better. And actually, if you do, it gives you more comfort. Now listen hard. Think deep and lean in when I read this because it is going to get a little bit theological, but you're going to get it, aren't you? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get it. Okay. And it challenges, it challenges, and I hope it changes this idea of us, we get to go to heaven kind of thing, and it's all this fluffy thing up in the sky when we die. Let me read it. We must discuss what Jesus means when he declares that there are many dwelling places in his father's house. You've heard that, yeah? He said that to, to Thomas and the guys. This has regularly been taken, not least when used in the context of bereavement, like I say, at funerals, etc., to mean that the dead or at least Christians, will simply go to heaven permanently rather than being raised again subsequently to a new bodily life. See, we have this picture that we're going to die and then our spirit goes up to heaven. That's not the Bible. Jesus was physically resurrected. So we will be. And you might be, yeah, but I'm going to get cremated maybe and how's he going to know where all the molecules go that's his problem he's God he can do it anyway I'll carry on but the word for dwelling places here monai is regularly used in ancient Greek not for a final resting place but for a temporary halt on a journey that will take you somewhere else in the long run this fits closely with Jesus' words, the dying thief, the dying brigand in Luke. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that? Jesus is crucified, one on one side, one on the other, both thieves. One of them's kind of saying, you're not really God, you know, and, and mocking him. And the other one just turns to Jesus and begs for mercy and says, you know, if you really are a king, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and says, today, I tell you the truth, because he does tell you the truth. Today I'll be, you'll be with me in paradise. Despite a long tradition of misreading, paradise here means not a final destination, but the blissful garden of rest and tranquility where the dead are refreshed as they await the dawn of the new day. With Jesus, the future hope has come forward into the present. For those who die in faith, maybe this will comfort you for somebody that has died that you can't see right now. Those, for those who die in faith, before that final reawakening, the central promise is of being with Jesus at once. I know where my dad is. I know who he's with. Resurrection wasn't a way of talking about life after death. It was a way of talking about a new bodily life after whatever state of existence one might enter immediately upon death. It was, in other words, life after life after death. Now you're thinking, oh, I don't get that. <laughs> Maybe you do. We'll get there. What if the question then we should be asking people, if we like to try to do evangelism and talk to people about the future and all of that. You know, there's this thing basically, a long time ago, the, the evangelism question was, if you died tonight, 
would you be sure you'd be getting into heaven? Maybe it would be better to ask, are you ready now to get heaven in you? Are you living this life in such a way that it will be, you'll be ready for life, after life, after death? This means that you weren't just saved so that it makes a difference for heaven in the future, heaven or hell, choose your destination, smoking or not smoking. But instead, this makes a difference earthly life now and forever. You see the difference? See, in the, and if this is true, in the kingdoms of government and politics right now, as Zoe and I on Tuesday get to go to have pancakes with Theresa May, and we're in 10 Downing Street, like what we're doing here, I'm going to be praying. Let kingdom come. In the public places and the green spaces, let kingdom come. For the druggies and the debtors, the old and the young, the winners and the losers of life in our city, let kingdom come. Everything matters. Everything matters here on the earth, not just when we get to heaven at some point. We can't just leave this earth to its own devices. Because God wants his kingdom to come. Jesus wants us to be agents of his kingdom here and now, not just then and there. See the difference? God wants his kingdom to come now and then. And he wants you to be part of bringing it. You were not designed, you were never meant for a purposeless life, but for a real life, life in all of its fullness, now and after life. After death. God has given you resources, he's given you roles, he's given you responsibilities for his kingdom until he returns. That's what you were born for. That's what you were born, a bit, born again for, if you've been born again. I've got to ask you, actually, is that, have you had that happen? Have you asked Jesus, make me ready for life now. Let me live as a citizen of heaven now, and I know that I'll live like that forever. You have to invite the king to rule over you and, make, and say, You're, you are the king. I'm going to submit to you. In fact, before we're done tonight, I didn't do it last week. I want to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to stick up a hand and say, yeah, I want, to, I want Jesus to be the king over me. I want him to rule over me. I want him to be in charge of me. See, this is what the parable of the talents is all about. Whether you, if you remember the talents, one, one guy got one, one guy got two, one guy got five. Don't compare with other people. Don't complain, ooh, I only got one, you got five. Jesus said, you know, just whatever happens, don't bury it in the ground. Work with it. Do something with it. Because the master's coming. And you're going to be held accountable for what you've been given. You're not going to be accountable. Not, you're not going to be accountable for what they did with theirs. So many of the parables of Jesus, like this one that I just talked about, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell a story. And so often the picture is, it's like there's an owner and there's some stewards. Who rents a house here? Anybody? Who's paying rent at the moment? Hands up. Great. Anybody who's ever rented like a holiday home? Most of us. You know, I've some people have told me you can go unbelievable places on like Airbnb and, and all of that. And that's great, but you must never forget when you're there, it's not really mine. 
if you like. There's a landlord, there's somebody who owns this and I'm responsible. If, you know, you can use it, you've got permission, but there are rules and responsibilities and there's an owner and it's not you. You are here now with what you have on the earth because God has given it to you. Everything. For a time. How long? He knows. Nobody else does. Don't let the enemy trick you into doing what he did and what he always wants us to do, which is to try and live independently of God. To stop living and thinking like you're a steward and start to think that you're an owner. To come out from underneath God's authority and to put yourself in charge. That's a mistake. If you've ever rented somewhere, or if you're a landlord, you're, you're going to know what this means. I was brought up on a council estate in Ordenshaw, and my mum had a rent book. And she paid every week. And the good news with that was if something broke, you know, if the, if the boiler went or whatever, who was responsible to fix it? Manchester City Council. Direct works would eventually come round. <laughs> Why? Because they were responsible for the upkeep. We were just renting. Then we poshed up and went to Denton. <laughs> and again, we, we, we were in a council house. And then there was this opportunity. Margaret Thatcher gave the opportunity for people, hang on, people <laughs> to, to buy the council house. And my mum and dad took her up on it. And they bought the house, which was great in all kinds of ways. Except now, when the roof has slates missing... When the boiler blows or whatever, who's responsible now? They are, absolutely, because now they're the owners. And that's true in life too. See, if you decide to say, let my kingdom come, let me be in charge of my life, I want to live as if I'm independent of God. Like so many people do, they want to go singing, I did it my way. Most popular song at funerals, apparently. God says, okay, you have it your way. You do it your way. But when it goes wrong, who's responsible to fix it? You are. The day I became a Christ follower, I took my life, broken and messed up and all in lots of pieces, and there were some good bits and there were some bad bits, and I just gave the lot to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, you gave your life for me, and I'm giving mine to you. And I thank you that you bought me with the highest price, the most valuable thing in the universe, which was your blood that was shed for me on the cross. And so because you did that for me, I'm going to give my life back to you. And it's a mess, but can you have it? And it was the best thing that I ever did. It's the best thing I could ever do. And it's the best thing you could ever do. If you've not done it, why don't you do it tonight? Because here's why. I would much rather be a renter than have ownership. Because God took ownership responsibility over me when I gave him my life as it was like that. And so, that way, when anything breaks down, I can do what Joel said. I can write it out. God help, God help, God help, God help. I don't have to be thinking of all the solutions and working it all out and it's all got to be down to me and my wisdom and my power and my strength because to be honest with you, that very quickly runs out. That way, when anything breaks down in my life, I can come to him and I can say, Lord, this belongs to you. This is yours too, remember? This is yours. 
Remember, I died, the Bible says. My life is hidden with Christ, in Christ with God. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says that. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's like I died and now I'm alive again and this life, now that I've got this new life, belongs to you. So would you help with that? This is your life. This is your money. This is your idea. This is your ministry. This is your church. I'm not going to worry about it. It's yours. It's all yours. You're the owner. This is your problem, God. Will you take care of it? But you can say, no, you know what? I'll be in charge of it. I'll sort it out myself. I want to be an owner. That's the choice. See, if you're an owner, you have to take care of it. And things will go wrong in this messed up, spoiled, sinful world, won't they? They definitely will. We saw in that passage from Hebrews, and it even tells us why. The Bible says, but now we do not see all things subjected to him. We're in that gap, that tension between now and not yet. So Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2 to tell him what to teach the church. And he says this, This new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, appears. So what do we do in the meantime till kingdom comes in this in-between time? Well, there's a great phrase that I heard some years ago. I'll try and bear it in mind, whatever I'm doing, and maybe even more so in the tough times. I remember somebody said it, I don't know who it was, but I've always remembered the phrase, it's training for raining. What I'm going through right now, it's training for raining. That's what this life is, right now. Training for raining. Rick Warren says, your life right now is a gift and a test and a trial. And what he means by the trial, what he means is, not, we'll go through trials, that's not what we're talking about. What he's saying is, it's the trial run for the real thing to come. The real life. So you have this idea that this life is the real life and heaven will be this, unspir- this spiritual other kind of life. Again, that's not what the Bible says. It says, this we think is solid. We think this is real, but you know, the, I love this. That I, heard, I think it was C.S. Lewis said that the reason Jesus could walk through the walls post-resurrection wasn't because he was like a ghost. It was because he was more real than the walls. Heaven reality. Heaven's reality breaking in makes this unreal. This is temporary. Permanence coming. So Rick Warren, again, he says that this life is the warm-up lap before the big race. So that means when Jesus saved you, if he saved you, has he done that? Have you asked him to? If not, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to do that and do this, to say, yes, save me, help me, give my life back to you. When Jesus saved you from your sins, he also saved you for his purposes. And he gave you a new life based on what he meant you to be, what he made you to be, what he wants you to be, and where he wants you to go. So what you're doing right now is training for reigning. And as I'm saying that, somebody's thinking, well, hold on, Anthony. You don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, if you wouldn't be saying that if you knew about this dead-end job that I'm stuck in at the moment. And, you know, and that, this ridiculous boss. And this low-paid, 
underappreciated role that I've got and it's just a slog and, and I don't even know why I'm there but you're trying to tell me this is God's training for reigning is God's way to get me ready for greatness in the kingdom in some way well obviously I'm not here to give everybody employment advice tonight and sometimes through no fault of our own and sometimes on other occasions because we've decided I want to be an owner of my life rather than God and I don't even want to ask him you can end up in a place where you're feeling stuck. But what if, it's true, what if where you are right now is a test and a gift and a training ground for reigning? What are you learning there? What if God is watching how you are, where you are right now, and how you go through this, because he's got a plan in mind with regard to where he wants to take you in the next place that he wants you to be? Like Joel, you know, he just slips in there about how he came back and he, he, he's looking for a job somewhere. He'll, he's basically willing to do anything and to work. He's not waiting for the ideal perfect job to come along and that's the only one he have. He goes to Subway and I don't think, I know he's my son, I don't think I, I ever really heard him saying when he was about 14, Dad, one day I really want to work at Subway. But he goes and he makes some sandwiches and he's going with a great attitude and he's serving in that place. And I think God's watching that. Do you? I think God's got his eye on that. And I don't know, but the way it works for me, I think that maybe God says, now I'm going to open this other door. Because you were willing to be in that place and just to be there. So right now it says we do not see everything subject to him. But are you subject to him? Are you subject to the king? One day everything will be subject to his rule. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. And when that happens, when that day comes, your faithfulness in this test now will determine your position there. I really believe that. Your attitude will determine your promotion, your rewards then. This isn't about whether you are saved or whether you are not. This is about the things that we do since we become a Christian and the, the work that we do, and whether it's just going to be burnt up. The Bible says some stuff we do will just be hay and stubble and straw. It's not going to pass through the fire. It'll just be burnt up. But other things are going to be gold and silver. And Jesus said in that day, many who are now first will be last. And many who are now last will be first and I think that's probably what's behind this it's one of my favourite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr if a man is called to be a street sweeper he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry he should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well and again I know some of you are saying yeah, but if you knew my life, if you knew my situation, you knew that if you knew what I'm in at the moment, you wouldn't say that, you'd think it was different, and I kind of don't qualify and not part of that. Well, all right, look what Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3 and see if there's any wriggle room, wiggle room for you. Whatever. Whatever you do. Does that include you? Does that include where you are? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. That's the difference maker. If you're miserable at work, maybe it's because you've got the wrong boss. Come and work for mine. He's great. My boss is so generous, so kind, so good. I've just got the best boss. And maybe you don't need to change jobs, maybe you just need to change boss. Tonight, you can do it. Before tomorrow, before Monday morning comes, you can change boss. And you don't even have to change jobs, you just change boss. And I mean boss now becomes a boss with a capital B. Who are you working for when you go to work? What are you working for? Stop working for the money. Stop working for the pension. Stop working for the promotion. Stop work, work, working for the, the awards and the recognition. Stop working for the bonus. Stop working for the approval or the applause. You might not even get any of those. Stop working for human masters. And you can start working for the Lord. He's looking for workers. Jesus said, pray to the Father that he'll, he'll, he'll just get some workers for his harvest field. Is anybody up for that? So, Zoe, where do you work? It's a harvest field. Where do you work? Yeah. Message. Oh, the message. That's definitely a harvest field. Here, with it. Hoodie on. Sorry? So it's a harvest field, isn't it? Um, uh, stripy top. Yeah. Sorry, I can't see in the dark very well. Yep. What do you do? Volunteer at different stuff. It's a harvest field. Who are you working for? God. <laughs> I know what you do. Tell us what you do. Uh, run care homes for the elderly. Run care homes. It's a harvest field. Who do you work for? God. See, this changes everything, doesn't it? Change your boss. And just because you are where you are, right now doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to always be where you are but if you're faithful guess what I can guarantee he's faithful he's watching and he's a promoter and he's a rewarder do you know why Jesus Christ has not yet returned why it's taking so long from our perspective it's because there's still work to do there's still people that he wants to recruit our God's in recruitment He's in the recruitment business. He's still got positions to fill for his kingdom. And I believe there are some key places yet available. Anybody going to apply? <laughs> I mean it. What about applying for a key position? Does that sound scary? To say, you know, use me, use me big, God, for your kingdom. Do something amazing through me. You can still do that. Do you want to apply? If you're able to stand, stand and we'll pray. Two responses before we're done and then the band are going to come up. In fact, the band could come up, please.
The first response is just that one I talked about before. Just give your life to Jesus tonight. Get ready to come alive. The Bible says he wants us to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how it happens. So you're dead to sin. You're dead to the old life. It's like that's gone now. I want to be alive. I want to be alive for, for Jesus. I want to be alive for God. So that I'm ready for life now. Life in all of its fullness. This is what Jesus said that he came to, to bring. Life in all of its fullness. And real life, after life, after death, forever. So anybody not done that and wants to do that, or as you kind of, you know, you know you've wandered away from that and you want to come back to it, just so I can pray for you. Stick up a hand right, like this so I can pray for you right where you are now. Anybody want to do that? Thank you. Anybody else? That's great. Thank you so much for doing that. Could a couple of people just, would it be all right if some of these people put, put their hands on your shoulders just to pray for you near to her? Thank you. May you be alive to God. May you know his risen life and his power, his resurrection power inside of you to help you to be everything that he calls you to be and to do everything that he calls you to be. May you be ready now for, and may you know the power of everlasting life and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to transform you and change you, to, to help you to be that new creation that you can't possibly be by yourself, by your own power, but may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ fill you. May the love of the Father be so real to you. May the power of the Holy Spirit just fill you and change you from the inside out so that you become in every way a new person and everybody around you gets to see that difference that only Jesus is making now by faith in your life. And then if you want to apply for a key position in the kingdom, whatever it looks like, just trust in the boss. Stick up a hand so I can pray for that as well. Yeah, great. Key position. Something, something Lord, that will just bring you glory. Something, Lord, that will, that will be not just about me and a little bit bigger slice of the pie for me or just looking after me, but something that helps other people in some way and helps them find their way back to you, perhaps, and something that is just all about giving you glory and bringing your kingdom here on the earth. Put my name down for that, Lord. I'm, I'm filling it in. I'm applying for that post right now, Lord. And just give him where you are your situation, your job, today, this week, wherever it is that you're facing, the places that you are, paid or unpaid, where you're serving him, and just say, sign me up to work for you. I want you to really be my boss. Use me. Use me where you want. Move me where you will. Choose me for your plans and purposes. Be my boss, Jesus. Amen. Let's just kind of underline that now in worship as we, uh, as we sing. Let's uh, just keep this going in, in, in that sense. That just as you're worshipping, also I'll be praying and the Holy Spirit just underlines these, these, um, these resolutions that we make in faith. And I don't think he's done yet tonight. And he wants to, to speak to some people even more and to help us. And maybe that's going to come as you're worshipping, that the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of something and, uh, and, and bring to life, bring to your remembrance his promises.
Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.